Good morning and welcome to Village Church East. It is good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. It is good to see you all this morning and to be here to worship the Lord together with you. This is the week after Easter. And uh, we had a great time last week uh, in Easter celebrations. If you missed that, you can jump on our webpage and you can follow some links there that will take you to some pictures from last week, as well as our Facebook page. If you go to Village Church East Facebook page, uh, we always put some new information on there, some updated information on there, just to let you know how we're doing, what we're doing, and how you can be a part of that. We also have a prayer page on Facebook because we are trying to redeem Facebook. And uh, that is a tenuous, monumental task. Uh, but if you would like to see some positive things on Facebook, we are inundating that site as best we can with positive stuff just for you. Uh, I also appreciate what Beth said. We are, uh, we're really launching some media uh, extravaganza pushes uh, this year especially. I am excited about this Thinking It Through podcast. And uh, I, am, I am producer, director, IT guy. I got my little board, I got my little board on the side. I get to press little buttons on the side. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun for me. Uh, I've been dropping a few already, uh, which is weird to say in public, but you can nowadays when you're talking about po- podcasts. Uh, but I've been, uh, we're going to be dropping uh, two a week. Uh, for the next few, um, uh, starting next week and then uh, running forward from there. I would love to get your input. If you've had questions about cultural changes and how we're supposed to think through these cultural changes, that's what the podcast is all about. And so you can submit your questions on our website. There's a button right there. Uh, You can submit those questions. I reserve the right to choose the questions that I would like to talk about and not choose others, as well as consolidate as best that I can. Ultimately, I love your input. I will, uh, I'll be excited to see what you have to say uh, about cultural changes and how we can think those things through with the mind of Christ. All right, all of that to say, that leads me into a series that we're beginning this, uh, this week, today. We're beginning today. And that series is on Jesus Christ. Because what better subject to talk about after Easter than Jesus? He's walking around for 40 days after he's re- resurrected from the tomb, and he's showing himself to thousands of people, sometimes hundreds at one time. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ. Not necessarily what he's doing for these 40 to 50 days that he's on the earth after his resurrection, but rather we're going to be talking about how our culture views Jesus Christ. So I have a little way that I thought you would enjoy starting out this morning. Here are some different versions of Jesus. Tell me which one of these you like the most. Now some people picture Jesus this way. This is a very formal way to look at Jesus Christ. You know, he, this might be the way that he looked. You can kind of pull a face off that, and maybe that's Jesus. Or maybe you prefer a Jesus that looks like this. Yes, everybody likes that, the very Greek nose, tanned, good-looking, long-haired, sandal-wearing individual. Everybody, who doesn't like that? Or maybe your version of Jesus is more like this. Now, this is a version of Jesus, actually, that came out Uh, from the BBC just a few years ago. They did some research and they thought this was a more accurate depiction of Jesus Christ. Well, we're not necessarily going to be talking about the way that he looks because quite frankly, nobody knows except those who saw him. Instead, we're going to be talking about the Jesus of Scripture, what he taught, how he lived, and what his mission was all about. And so for the next few Sundays, we're going to be talking about who is Jesus. And this is, the, this is what you'll see on our website. This is a title slide right here for you to, to kind of get familiar with this. This is our topic for the next few weeks. It's a confusing subject in our world, and I have to tell you, I've done series like this in the past, but I have to tell you in this age... In 2021, we seem to be more confused about Jesus than ever before. I mean, you can have two people with completely separate sets of opinions on one subject, and both of them say, Jesus would be on my side. And that's really strange to me because we actually have the entire Bible that tells us about Jesus. We have God came to us in human flesh 
because he figured we would get confused on this subject. This is one of the reasons Jesus comes to us because he reveals to us the Father. We're supposed to look at Jesus and go, oh, that's what God is like. That's why he became incarnate. That's why he was born of a virgin. That's why he lived a sinless life. That's why he taught like he did, and he constantly said, you have heard it said, but you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You haven't heard that before? Or he would say these things, truly, truly, I say to you, right? He is constantly helping us understand, listen, you're confused on some subjects. Here is how God thinks on these things. He wants us to know him, and I love that about our God. There's a verse in Matthew 11 where Jesus actually says, Come unto me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, uh, uh, take my yoke upon you, and what does the next phrase say? Learn from me. One uh, translation actually says, learn of me. Jesus makes this invitation to us to learn about who he is. God goes out of his way to give us Jesus Christ. God gives us the entire Bible. We are meant to understand God. And it seems to me the longer this world goes on, the less we understand God. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So this is where we're going with these next few weeks. Who is Jesus? Let's learn of him, let's learn from him, and let's get some of this dust cleared off of our minds and think correctly about Jesus Christ. Let's have the misconceptions torn away, and let's think about who Jesus really is, which is why you're, you're really going to be excited why you're here today. I have a couple of phrases for you, and you have to tell me what all of these things have in common, all right? Here's the phrases. So there's a little game we're going to play. All of you at home, you can play as well. This this is a game we're going to play. Here it is. Tell me what all of these phrases have in common. You ready? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, don't answer yet. Cleanliness, you've heard that one before? All right, how about this one? Money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that one before? Okay, hang on. How about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that one before? All right. What is, what is the commonality between all of these phrases? Anybody want to take a jab at it? Ah, yes. People think they're all from the Bible. That is one commonality. What is the second commonality? They're all wrong. None of them are right. They're twisted. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Good grief. Are you serious? Then then there's a lot of sloppy people. No matter how they live, they ain't going to heaven, right? That's a dumb phrase, cleanliness. That's what a mother says to their child to get the kid to work a little bit around the house. (laughs) Or to take a bath, yes. Thank you, wife, yes. So these phrases are all wrong. You want to hear another one that fits along these categories? Here's one more. Jesus accepts us as we are. Incorrect and not biblical. Now you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, Craig, I I think you're a little wrong on that one. I'm glad that we're going to have this conversation this morning then. Does Jesus accept us as we are? Remember, these are all, these next few Sundays are all uh, walking into the middle of a culture that looks to twist Jesus Christ to make him who they want him to be. So the question we're dealing with today is, does Jesus accept us as we are? Now, let me just say, it depends on how you look at this phrase. All right, let's dig in a little bit. Jesus, the promised one of God, comes through the gates of Jerusalem to a cheering crowd two Sundays ago. It's Palm Sunday. He would offer his, his, his salvation to all who would believe in him. But Jesus knew before he even got there, they were going to reject him. Look in Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How's that for a reputation for your city? How often, Jesus says, I would have gathered your, uh, I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not 
willing. The question then, church, is this morning, who does Jesus accept? Who is Jesus looking to accept? I want to cover a few things really quickly, and then I want to take you to the main passage that we're going to be talking about this morning, a parable. A parable that you are very, very familiar with, and one of my ultimate favorites in Scripture. But before we get there, let me just lay the foundation. Who is Jesus looking to accept? Number one, Jesus makes his offer relevant enough to all who are struggling with life. Jesus will accept anyone. His offer is relevant enough that it would appeal to anyone who struggles with life. Church, how many of you have never struggled with life before? Feel free to raise your hands. All right. Jesus' offer is relevant enough to help those to appeal to anyone struggling with life, and he does that on purpose. I mean, who would this not appeal to? Jesus is obviously saying, listen, if you struggle with life, anyone struggle with life? Yes, we all do. Okay, I'm for you. My offer of salvation is for you. Again, I take you to Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden. Who feels labored and heavy laden? Everybody. Some people more than others. Some times of our life more than others. His sole purpose was to get all of those who are weary and heavy laden to understand he has something to offer them. He makes his appeal relevant enough that it covers everybody. Number two, he makes his offer meek enough to capture everyone's attention. He does not come off as a know-it-all. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? Like, I walk into the room, everybody else sit down, I've got something to say. And if anybody could pull that off, it would have been Jesus, right? After all, he's God. If God walks into the room, pretty much everybody else is going to be wrong. But he never does that. He always comes in with a meek attitude. He came to Jerusalem on a donkey. Typically, kings will arrive on horses, steeds, white horses. They'll look the part. They'll play the part. They will be kings. Jesus comes on a donkey. Why? Because he wants to make his offer meek enough that it would appeal to everybody. And by the way, lest you think that he is not that, Revelation says he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is no king greater than him. There is no Lord greater than him. But he is truly meek and humble. And the last thing I want you to know before we go into this parable is he makes his offer open enough to attract all kinds of people. Everyone is welcome. Nobody is rejected. It's found in the fifth word, or the fourth word. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Jesus came through the gates of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to a roaring, cheering crowd, there was nobody that was out of his offer. There was nobody that he would reject. There was nobody that had fallen so far into sin that he couldn't pull them out. His offer was open to everybody. It was humble enough. He was meek enough. It was relevant enough. And yet that same crowd wanted his blood just four days later. Now I take you to the parable. This is going to be fun. Tell me if you remember this parable. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Hang on a second. Who was drawing near to Jesus? (laughs) Tax collectors and sinners. Do you know who tax collectors were, by the way? Uh, Yeah, unless you're married to one, you probably don't like them, all right? Even in this day today, tax collectors are not at the top of our, hey, let's invite all the tax collectors over and have a big party. You work for the IRS, we love you. That's not how it goes. It was worse in Jesus' day. Because tax collectors were Jewish people who bought their position so that they could collect taxes for the enemy. They were Jews taking money from Jews and giving it to the Romans. And on top of that, there was a bottom line that they could collect. Rome said, it's got to be this much, but whatever else you want to collect, 
that's all yours. <laughs> so they could collect any amount that they wanted and pocket how much they wanted. You wonder why Zacchaeus got so rich? He's a thief. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Have you ever driven down the road and said, look on the sidewalk, that's a sinner? I mean, that's, that's a pretty derogatory statement, wouldn't you say? And yet, all the tax collectors and all the sinners were drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, obviously, and complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Listen, Jesus would stop in his tracks to tend to the poor, the sick, even a tax collector or two. He would wash, he would allow his feet to be washed by the tears and wiped by the hair of prostitutes. He even talked with centurions and did a miracle or two for the enemy, these Romans that abused the Jews. His favorite hangout spots were not where the rest of the religious leaders hung out. Again, I I don't know what you've heard about the Bible, but you should really read it. Because if you read it, you will have to look long and hard to find any time that Jesus is hanging out in the temple. He's there once, he's there twice, he's preaching there every once in a while, calling them a brood of vipers and whitewashed sepulchers and calling out the religious leaders of the day. Sure, he's in the temple, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. That was what began a part of his ministry, sure. You can find him in there once in a while. But I gotta tell you, out of the four gospels, it's really hard to find Jesus hanging out where you'd think he should hang out. Instead, he's hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, I love this about Jesus because everybody society rejected, Jesus walked toward. Lepers had to live outside of the city, and if anyone came near to them, they had to do the 2021 version of mask wearing. They had to hold their hand over their face, and they had to scream out, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, and Jesus kept on walking. Everybody else would run away from the people that Jesus walked toward. Why does Jesus spend time with people like this? Because these are the people Jesus came to save. All of these watching knew his invitation was for all people. All of them knew they were wretched. All of them knew they were at the bottom of the food chain. All of them knew very well who they were. They didn't need a preacher to tell them. They knew what life did to them. They knew what society thought of them. They were way down here. And all these people knew that they were wretched and on the wrong track of life. But you know what all these people did? Every time they saw Jesus, they would cry out to him. They would ask him to do something. They would show honor and gratitude and love. And you know who didn't? The Pharisees. The people who should have known better. You see, that's because Jesus was meek, he was mild, he was gentle, and his offer was for all people. Jesus was intentional about every person holding value, which takes us to the next verse. This is where you'll recognize the story. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he is founded, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. This parable seems to be gaining a lot of momentum these days. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of memes with Jesus carrying a sheep on his neck these days. Jesus goes after the lost sheep. And for all the ones that condemn the lost sheep, Jesus looks sternly at. And he rejects them because he's concerned about the lost sheep. It's a good parable. Read what it goes on to say. And when he comes home with the sheep around his neck, he finds the one that was lost, and he comes home. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep that was lost. It's a good day. 
the lost sheep, the one that was neglected, the one that was the victim, the one that was left out in the cold, the one that wandered away and didn't know what he was doing. I went out, I found the sheep, I'm bringing them home. And it's supposed to be a time of rejoicing. Sounds like an incredible Jesus. It's one of my pictures that I, that I, I like on this is, is Jesus, you know, holding this precious little lamb around his neck. And, you know, no matter how you clean those suckers, they still stink. But Jesus is holding them and bringing them home. No matter who you are, Jesus will go out to get you. No matter how others don't understand you, Jesus understands you. And you are worth leaving 99 others so that Jesus will go get you. Because whatever makes sense to you makes sense to Jesus. And whatever is passionate about you and you're passionate for, that's passionate for him as well. Jesus is accepting of everyone and every cause. And you could paint any cause you want on that little lamb. And you can say, look, Jesus would go for that lamb. And that's what makes this parable so misunderstood. Because in our world today, we have done that to this parable. We have done that to this teaching of Jesus. Jesus is accepting of everyone. He's accepting of every cause. Are you feeling like a victim in your cause? Jesus will come and get you. He will lift you up. He will support you when all others look down on you. Are you feeling neglected like by the majority? Do you feel like you're looked down by them? Jesus will come and support you. You are the vulnerable lamb. And in our world today, we can, like I said, paint any cause we want on that. Any mission that gets us out of bed in the morning, we paint it on the sheep and we say, that's my mission and this is how Jesus would feel about my mission. Oy, 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 oy. Here's the problem. Like all those other phrases that we repeated at the beginning, that is a clear misunderstanding of this parable. Now you may be sitting there or sitting at home thinking to yourself, well, Craig, that's, that's what it looks like to me. I mean, Jesus goes after the one that's neglected, right? Yes. He goes after the one that's, that's uh, the victim. Yes. He goes after the one that's cast out from the others. Yes. He goes after the one that's lost. Yes. But church, you have got to finish the parable. Do you know how the parable finishes? I'm glad you asked. Verse 7. Just so I tell you, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over... Church, would you read that phrase for me, please? Sinner. There you have the word again. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the other 99 righteous people who need no repentance. This parable is not given to us so that we can warp it, fix it, manipulate it, and make it work for anything we want it to work for. This parable is about somebody that has wandered away from the truth, that has rejected the shepherd, and has gone off on his own and realized he's in trouble. And Jesus realizes he's in trouble. And Jesus goes after that sheep when that sheep repents. Oh, you haven't heard this part of the story very much, have you? There's, this has nothing to do with Jesus accepting us like we are. He accepts anyone who cries out to help from him. You see, that's the difference. The question is not, will Jesus go after you? The answer to that is yes, yes, and always yes. The real question is not, will Jesus accept you? The real question is, will you accept him? That's the story. Now, if you're missing it, there's two major questions. Who is the sheep that Jesus goes to rescue? The only characteristic we're given of that sheep is that he or she is repentant. And the second question is, who are the sheep that Jesus leaves behind? They are the judging sheep, the condemning sheep. Jesus rescues sinners who repent. Church, that's the reason he came. Jesus came to save sinners. He said it a million times. The disciples could quote that line in their sleep. Jesus came, came to save sinners who repent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. If you keep reading, there you'll find the same thing. God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because it says we are condemned already. Jesus came on a rescue mission, not to make us feel better about any cause we're following, but to show us the truth about life and ask us, will you accept me? These people are sorry for living in rebellion against the teaching of God's word. They agree with God and are willing to do whatever it takes to make their lives right with him. This is an individual who thinks they've they've lost their way. They've come to their senses. They've understood they're in danger and they need saving. Jesus comes to save that person. This is not a person who's telling everybody else how they should live. Listen, we've warped it and turned that little lamb into the judging sheep because we say the little lamb should be able to tell how everybody else should live. That's not the story. That's that's a complete warping of the story. If you're not willing to live according to Jesus and his teaching, you're never going to repent. You'll always be telling other people how to live, and let me just tell you this, you're going to be telling Jesus how he should live as well. Jesus should be on my side. Really? The goal of life is not to figure out how to get Jesus on our side. It's to get us on his We're not the victors. He is. And if you want to win this thing, you should go on his side. We teach the story like it's a person feeling like a victim in any situation, and Jesus would go out of his way to rescue them. We teach the story like the person Jesus goes to rescue can have their own version of right and wrong, and Jesus will support them. That is atrocious. That's what the sheep are doing, the judging sheep are doing. That's a total warping of the story. These, these judging sheep said they, would, they were right, and anyone that doesn't agree with them is wrong. <laughs> Those are Pharisees, church. Anyone who comes to you and says, this cause is right, and anyone who doesn't agree with me is wrong, you should really take a step back. Because those are the sheep Jesus left behind to go get the one who repents and runs to his version of the truth. These sheep are so righteous, they refuse to even consider that they might be wrong. We're right, everybody who, who is right who agrees with us. And if you don't agree with us, <laughs> Jesus goes after the sheep that agrees with him, wants a relationship with him, cries out for help to him, says, you are right, I am wrong. If you're willing to agree with God's standards and you're feeling like life has pushed you down, cast you out, you're a victim... Then you cry out to him, and he will go through hell and high water to bring you home. He will chase you down like you've never seen. If your heart is to reach out to him, he will be there. And the truth of the matter is, he does that even without us knowing. This is not a story of Jesus going to rescue somebody who feels bad about life or a victim in life. This is about Jesus finding the marginalized sheep who feels like life has beat them down and is willing to turn to Jesus Christ and accept him and his teachings. Listen, this is why Luke 15 ends with a very popular story that you've probably heard before called the prodigal son. You see, there's three things that are lost in in Luke 15. I don't have time to go into all of them, but the first one's a lost sheep, the second one is a lost coin, and the third one is a lost son. This prodigal son wandered away from his father. You know the story, right? Wandered away from his father, said, give me everything that's mine. Takes all that he has and goes and wastes it on booze and prostitutes. That's, that's not my story. That's Jesus' story. Look it up in Luke 15. Then he runs out of money because all his friends apparently just like him for his cash. That doesn't happen nowadays, so we can't really relate to that. They spend all of his money until finally he realizes he has no friends, they're gone. He has no money, it's gone. He has no life, that's gone. And he finds himself sneaking into the pens of the pigs and eating what they eat, which is terrible for a Jewish person in a hundred different ways. And then he comes to his senses. 
And he thinks to himself, maybe my father will take me back. Maybe he's not that disappointed with me. Maybe I haven't broken his heart as much as I have. And he comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to come back and I'll say to my dad, listen, I'm willing to serve you like a servant in the field. You don't even have to call me your son. We'll just play it out like I've embarrassed you if you would just please keep me alive. He's desperate. And he plays that thing out in his mind, the speech, the dialogue, as he's walking home and to his ultimate surprise, before he even gets home, way in the distance, he sees a figure running toward him. You know what that tells me about the father? He's been watching. He's been watching. And that figure runs toward him and he's thinking to himself, oh crap, that's dad, what am I going to say, what am I going to do? And his dad, instead of condemning him like those rotten sheep, his dad wraps his arms around him. His dad says, put, the, put my best cloak on him, put my ring on his finger. He's, my son who was lost has been found. And the son goes, okay, hang on, Dad. I've got this practice out. Listen, I know I've embarrassed you. I've spent all your money. I've stolen from you. I've treated you like dirt. But I just, I'm just asking you, could I be a servant? And he can't get the words out because his dad's going, I love you, son. I love you, son. I love you. And he brings him home. And there's sheep in that story, too. The older son says, wait a doggone minute. I have stayed here on this estate I have served you, I have been your right-hand man, and you're going to do this for this loser? That's not very fair. And the father simply says to the older son, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Church, does Jesus accept me for who I am? That goes without saying, but it's not a good question. The real question is, do I have a heart that will finally accept Jesus for who he is? That son was willing to live under his father's arm, protection, love, reputation for the rest of his life. The question is, can I accept Jesus for who he is? Or do I need Jesus to be who I need Jesus to be? On Palm Sunday, there was a lot of accepting hearts They were tossing clothes on the ground and palm branches and they were declaring that Jesus was the best thing they'd ever seen since sliced bread. But that crowd four days later cried out not for acclamation of who he was, but they cried out for his blood. They sure seemed like they were accepting though, wouldn't you say? Their acceptance was conditional. When they found out Jesus was not gonna take them as they were, (laughs) When he came and he said, listen, this is the offer I have for you. And they're going, whoa, 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 before you tell us what the offer is you have for us, let us tell you who we think you are. We think that you are the redeemer, you're going to give us our land back, you're going to take the Romans away, you're going to give us our cash back, our jobs back, it's going to be life like normal, the land that flows with milk and honey will flow with milk and honey once more, with none of these Gentiles around, that's who we need you to be. And Jesus said, "Uh, that's not the offer. The offer is, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the offer. Learn of me. For I am meek and gentle in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. That's the offer. He never stopped reaching out to them. They stopped reaching out to him when they realized he wasn't who they needed him to be. Jesus will accept you for who you are. The question is, will you accept him for who he is? No one ever came to Jesus and walked away the same. And no matter how many parables or stories you've heard about Jesus Christ, they never end without Jesus looking at somebody and saying, go and sin no more. That's the offer. So I finish with this. What kind of a heart can accept this invitation? What kind of people do we need to be? Number one, hearts that accept Jesus' invitation are tenderized by humility. All throughout Scripture, Proverbs 3, 4, 1 Peter 5, 5, James 4, 6, all say the same thing. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Do you know what opposes the proud means in there? The Greek actually means he puts his back against them. (laughs) So if you come to Jesus and you're a proud individual, you don't get this. You get this. I didn't think Jesus was like that. Well, you should read more of the Bible. But to the humble person, God reaches down and lifts up their head. There's a story in the New Testament about a Pharisee and a tax collector who went to worship at the temple. This is a great story that Jesus talks about one day. Whether it happened or not, I'm not sure, but he tells the story nonetheless. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. Remember, who do we love the most, Pharisees or tax collectors? Well, if we're in Jerusalem at this time, we love the Pharisees. We don't understand that they're completely losers like Jesus does. But tax collectors, they're right out, all right? The Pharisees begin to, the Pharisee that's there begins to thank God, get this, that he's not the tax collector. <laughs> Isn't that great? He goes to the temple and he looks around and he goes, you know what? Lord, I would like to thank you for something today. I would like to thank you that I'm not a loser like that guy right over there. That guy is hated by everybody. That guy collects money and gives it to the enemy. That guy is a, is, is, is a traitor. And Lord, you know who I am. So I thank you, Father, that I'm not like that guy. That's, that's a great way to start your church service, by the way. The tax collector, however, stood on the other side of the room and beat, it says in the Bible, beat on his breast and wouldn't stop crying out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one of these people do you think God heard their prayers, Jesus says? So church, I ask you, which one of these people do you think that God accepts? Is it the Pharisee that compares himself to all the losers in the room? Or is it the one guy that realizes he is the loser? It's the one who realizes he's the sinner. And he can't do anything about it. He needs Jesus. The conclusion was that Jesus said the tax collector was acceptable to God and the self-righteous Pharisee was the sheep and found no acceptance with God. Number two, hearts that accept Jesus' invitation are full of honesty. Full of honesty. The communion table that we finish with every Sunday reminds us of the fact that we need to be honest about who we are and who God is. Anyone can come to the table. It is open to all. God accepts everyone. The question is, do you accept him? And that's why when we come to the table, typically we'll read a few of the verses from 1 Corinthians 11, but we skip over these next ones. Listen to this. Here's how 1 Corinthians 11 continues. You've heard me read it every single Sunday. Here's the next verse, 1 Corinthians 11:28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you know what that means? It means take a look in here and make sure you are the sheep that cries out to Jesus. He accepts all. But make sure you're not the sheep that are judging. Make sure you're the one that's accepting him. We were enemies of God, church. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians uh, Colossians one twenty one says, "You were hostile. We were hostile in our mind. We were hostile in evil deeds. It is Christ who has crossed over to us." This is the parable of the lost sheep. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to Him. We have to be honest about who we are. I have come to know who I am, and I've come to know who he is. And I love being a part of his family. I choose to accept his evaluation of me. I do not expect to be called to evaluate him. Lastly, hearts that accept Jesus' invitation are full of appreciation. (laughs) Appreciation. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends and companions. He's walked with him for over three years. He had the commission to go build the church. Peter began his ministry and spent his time talking about Jesus Christ, but he also knew way down deep in the back of his mind he was the one that betrayed Jesus. Judas did it, sure, but he did it three times. Judas did it for a a sack of money. 
Peter did it to save his own reputation, his own rear end, his own safety. Three times he denied even knowing Jesus Christ. And he had bragged about his loyalty to Jesus Christ before that. But then one unforgettable morning in John chapter 21, after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus came and had breakfast with all the disciples, and he made it his mission to forgive Peter. In fact, church, when Jesus rose from the dead and talked to Mary at the tomb, one of the things that he said is, after Peter is crushed, that he had sunk lower than Judas, and Judas has hung himself out of guilt. Now Peter realizes he has done just as bad, if not worse, and he is torn up. And Jesus, when he raises from the tomb, he looks at Mary and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Go tell, go tell the disciples that I've risen. Wait a second. And don't forget to tell Peter. Did you know he said that? He said, don't forget. Tell Peter. Why? Because I think Jesus was chasing Peter down because Peter was full of guilt. And then he shows up in John chapter 21. (laughs) This is when Peter tore off his robe and threw himself into, remember, into the water. He swims for the shore because Jesus pulled the stunt. He's pulled the stunt several times already, but he did at the beginning of the ministry. Now he does it at the end of his ministry. He says, they've been out fishing because they're, they're, they're distraught. I fish when I'm distraught sometimes. It's, it's therapeutic. They're out fishing when they're distraught. They're out fishing. They caught nothing all night. Jesus comes walking on the shore, and he's so far away they can't see him. They know he's risen. They've seen him a couple times already, but they can't really see who it is. Just another Joe on the shore. And then he calls out. He says, hey, you caught anything yet? They said, no, mind your own business. He said, no, we've been fishing all night. We've got nothing. Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side. <laughs> you see, he did that before. And so they throw their nets on the other side, hoping maybe it's another encounter with Jesus. And they get so much fish, they can't pull it in. The boat's like tilting over. Peter does, he says, you guys deal with the fish. I'm out of here. And instead of rowing to shore, he swims for it. Why? Because I think he's so guilt-ridden. He needs Jesus to release him. And Jesus goes after Peter like a lost sheep. Then he goes for a walk with him and he forgives him three times. said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, please stop asking me this question. You know I love you. I blew it. I get it. Stop rubbing my nose in it. Jesus said, all you got to do, brother, is feed my sheep. Because I've come back to chase you down. Peter is a lost sheep. That's why in Acts 10, Peter stands up in front of people that can kill him in a minute. And he preaches with boldness because he doesn't care anymore. He is about Jesus. He is, a, he is the sheep that was lost and is found. And he is proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ. And he said, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right, church, is what? is acceptable to him. Why did Peter say that? Because he lived it. He's the sheep. He found that he was still acceptable to God, and he knows this Jesus will chase anyone down whose heart turns toward him. Peter found it out firsthand. His proud heart was changed into an appreciative heart, and church, that's the heart we operate from as well. A heart that is appreciative of what our Savior has done. It's the wrong question to ask, does Jesus accept me? Of course he does. He accepts everyone who comes to him. You see, the right question is, who accepts Jesus? Humble hearts, honest hearts, and appreciative people. In other words, repentant people. These are the ones Jesus comes to save. The parable of the lost sheep. How many times have you heard that twisted and torqued to mean a hundred different things? But it only means one thing. All who come to Jesus 
all who come to Jesus will never be turned away. Father, I thank you for this parable that we got to read again. I thank you for the impact of your heart for us. I thank you that constantly through Scripture, you are the one who chases us down. And I thank you, Father, that you make your invitation open to all who are open enough and honestly, to all who are weary and heavy laden. And thank you that you give us your rest. Everyone in this room has lived life and has been beaten down by life, some even very recently. And Lord, we want you to know that we want to be the kind of people that learn of you, learn from you. We want to be those that cry to you for help. We're not telling you what should be on your agenda. We're simply asking you what should be on ours. And so, Father, let us live out the Great Commission that way, going into all the world, preaching the gospel, make disciples, teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded us. You are the one that leads the way and not us, not our cause, not our missions, not our not whatever our fancies are today or will change into five years from now. You are not about what we're after. We're about what you're after. So Father, help this parable to take on a whole new meaning for us now that we've deciphered it through proper eyes. And may we live as those lost sheep who've been rescued and live lives of gratitude for you and for what you've done for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, we finish every Sunday usually, not last Sunday, we did a baptism, but usually every Sunday we finish with communion. The reason we do this is because we want to make sure that the gospel message is clearly proclaimed every single Sunday that we gather. And if anything proclaims the gospel message, it is the communion table. If you're at home and you're joining us at home, I want to encourage you to join us in this as well. We always encourage our folks at home to go find some crackers or bread or something, goldfish. My kids ate goldfish last year, but whatever you can find at home, triscuits, <laughs> whatever's in your cabinet, and something to drink because it is, not the, it is not the thing that magically transforms us. It is us doing this together that reminds us who we are, the lost sheep, and who Jesus is, the one who came to rescue us. The juice, whatever we drink, is a representation of the blood that Jesus shed for us. The only sinless blood that ever was on this planet poured down a cross so that it could cover our sins. And the bread, or whatever we eat, represents the body that was pierced for us. The nails in the, finger, the, nails in the hands and, the, and in the feet and the sword that went through the side of Jesus Christ The bread represents the fact that this body had to be pierced so that the blood could flow. And Jesus said in the upper room, he said, listen, you're going to do this in a new way from now on, not like we used to for Passover. Now you're going to do it in a new way with the church. And every time you do it, it's going to be a reminder of what happened right here, this day, this week, last week for us, Passion Week, when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood given for you. So as a reminder to us, all of us are sinners. (laughs) I know that's not a popular thing nowadays. All of us have, Lord willing, at some point in our lives, beaten our chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And those are the people Jesus comes to rescue. This communion table is a reminder that he has gone to incredible lengths to provide us with a way home. Our sin birthed hearts of rebellion in us that wanted nothing more than our own way, every way, and nothing else but that way. And Jesus came to us to offer himself so that we could say, your way. Your way, that's the only way, and nothing else but that way. Jesus changes our hearts. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never, if you feel like you've been the lost sheep, but you've never cried out to him, and you feel like he's never actually grabbed you and brought you to un- under a place of refuge back home, then I hope, if anything this morning, you've heard the gospel message, Jesus accepts all who cry out to him. And if you want help with that, you can press a button on the side if you're watching online, or those of you that are in-house, we have a prayer station over here, and 
one of our best prayers in the church. Uh, Brent is going to be over there, and you can ask him, listen, I, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I feel like I'm the lost sheep, and I need Jesus. He's, he can help you understand how Jesus has been chasing you this whole time. You've just been missing it. Jesus will accept all who cry out to him, and communion is a reminder of that. So church, I invite you, those of you that are home, I invite you, let's take communion together. When we do, come up and grab the, uh, the items that are in front of you. Those of you at home, hang on to those. Go grab them now, hang on to them. Because we all need to do this together, me included, because I am, like Paul says, I think I got Paul beat. I think I am the chief of sinners. But Paul, you know, that's what he said about himself. And I gotta tell you, the reason why we all take it together is because we're all in the sinking ship together. It's a leaky boat, we're all going down. We're not for Jesus Christ. And so wait for me. I'll come back up. I'll read a passage of scripture. We'll eat and we'll drink together and we'll proclaim that God has rescued us from the leaky boat and he has put us in safety. He has put us in a place where we are now no longer enemies of his, but we are sons and daughters of God. Isn't that great? Do you know someday, if you accept Jesus as your Savior, you know someday when you stand before God, you'll be up there and you'll be going, Jesus, do you remember I did this? And God, do you remember I did this? And, and you remember I did this? And you know what God's response is going to be? If you know Christ as your Savior, you know what God's response is going to be? I don't know what you're talking about. Because God chooses not to hold our sins against us any longer. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. That's what communion is all about. So I invite you to come to the communion table together this morning to celebrate. Before we do that, I want to give you a few moments uh, in silence, those of you that are home as well. If you would just maybe thank God. Maybe there's something on that final list, a thankful heart or an honest heart, something about that maybe that has struck a chord with you this morning. Would you just take a moment in the silence of your mind and just pray to God, not meditate, just pray to God. Say, God, thank you for blank. Whatever it is, I want to give you a moment to do that before we come to the table. Would you do that with me this morning?